This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hey fam, welcome to another episode. I am so excited about this because today I'm interviewing Coach Roxy from Roxy Bike Coaching. You want to check the links in the show notes. You want to sign up for her newsletter. You definitely want to give her a follow on YouTube and Instagram if you're not already because she is such a gem in the biking industry and I hope you learn as much as I did just chatting with her and really getting to pick her brain and learn a little bit more about where she comes from and why she is such a huge asset to our community. So here you go, friends. Let's dive in. Awesome. Well, welcome, Roxy. I am so excited to have you on. I can't tell you how much I follow you on Instagram and just over the years have have shared endless, endless videos of, of your skills work and everything. So I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is super exciting because w- with me sitting behind the screen and producing all the content and then I sometimes I don't even know if people watch it, you know, because sometimes you don't get back a lot of com- like you don't get too many comments or yeah, you do get the likes, but sometimes I think we forget that there are people behind it. And then when I hear this, I'm like, oh, finally, yes, someone does see it. (laughs) Oh, we see it. We see it. And I will have you know, like I'm a member of a few private mountain biking groups here in the state of Colorado and the States. And and folks often share your videos actually before I even have a chance to, because sometimes people, people will pop on and they'll have a question like, hey, do you have any tips on like how to help with switchbacks? I don't know, just something random, right? And they're like, oh, you should check out Roxy's videos. And they actually link to your YouTube page. So that's kind of an, you know encouraging, I feel like, because I learned about you through Instagram. And then of course I've learned about your YouTube and now your podcast I've learned about, which we'll talk about later. But I just feel like there's little layers of Roxy that I'm learning. <laughs> Well, awesome. It's really funny. Yeah, because I get like a monthly recap from Mm -hmm. YouTube and then it says it shows how many times it was shared. And I was like, wow, people actually share this? This is amazing. (laughs) See, we really, you obviously, you hit it, you you strike something with folks. And I think that that's really good. You're relatable. You're really good at breaking things down, which is awesome because you don't see that very often. Or sometimes folks, and, and even I'm guilty of this, sometimes we'll use too many words. To explain things mm-hmm. and for you in your videos and, and listeners i'll link things in the show notes so don't don't feel like you're left out on seeing roxy in action but uh definitely check out her videos but you'll see like roxy just break down things and she'll point at certain things and she just has like a couple of words that she uses to share like hey this is what you need to do in terms of cueing and i think that is incredibly important because sometimes we get so lost in explaining how things are done and then you start to see people's eyes glaze over and then, and then up, oh, oh, they've checked out. <laughs> Absolutely. I know when I'm training instructors, it's exactly what we work on. I say, you need to keep it stupid, simple. You need yeah. to use the fewest words you can to bring across your point because people are not going to be able to listen. No, no, no. They no. want to do it. Yeah. They just want to do it. Yeah. They want to take action. All right. So yeah. I want, I would love to hear your story. You know, so tell us a little bit about you. Well, um, to actually take it back a long time, I grew up in Cyprus, which is a tiny little island below Turkey. And I grew up with Turkish, English and German. And that's why my English is pretty good. Um, But my mom, she was a surf teacher for windsurfing. And my dad, he used to be a pro tennis player. And then he went to, to become a tennis teacher so I grew up with basically sports coaching then my mom went to university to study and she worked in a juvenile home for um, young people who had committed a lot of bad stuff and so I got into basically I grew up with both the sports coaching side but also the psychology and how to teach things and that was always it was always something that I had a passion for And then um, when I started mountain biking, I actually started mountain biking because 
I hurt my knee. So I used to dance a lot and then I couldn't dance anymore and I was looking for something new to do. And I thought, well, you know, as a kid, I always liked playing in the dirt. So why not mountain biking? That's how I started mountain biking. And then I had, I joined a club and they were like, yay, speed is your friend. Just hold on to the bike, just follow my line. And I crashed like really badly a lot in the beginning. And so I started asking all these questions. I was like, well, why do I want to go fast? Why do I want to do this? Why, why, why? Because I'm a why person. And they could never answer me the questions. And um, that's how I became a coach because I was like, well, you know, someone has to be able to answer me these questions. So I'm just going to start looking for the answers. And then people started asking me the why. And then I was able to explain the why. And that's how I started getting into coaching. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I absolutely love that. I had no idea about this. I had no idea. This was all new to me because obviously, you know, being on social media, sometimes we don't share every single thing about our history and our you know, upbringing because sometimes we might find it like boring. But let me just tell you, Roxy, that was very fascinating. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> well, wow. Thanks. Yeah, it is funny because I was, I was talking about this with another coach the other day and we were talking about social media and talking about like the hard part about social media. And just as you say, I think... For me as a coach, where everything I do is basically about my clients, so it's not really about me. The first part of going on social media was hard because it was, for the first time, it's about me. And it's about me showing things. But at the end of the day, everything I do, then again, is for others. So I always focus. That's actually my social media strategy. Everyone keeps asking me, like, tell me your strategy. It's like, well, it's actually very easy. I run a filter through it. I go, is this ego or is it the love for teaching? Mm -hmm. And if the thing actually making me wanting to post this is ego, then I delete it. I I rip up the paper. Mm -hmm. I don't do it. And if I notice, okay, this is the love of teaching. I want to really bring value into the world. Then I start taking my notes. Then I start preparing that reel. Then I go out and shoot. And it takes me like six to eight hours to post one of those 20, Mm -hmm. 30 second videos. It's a whole lot of work uh, because I want it to be as on point as possible to bring to really not waste any time but bring out all the value that i really want to bring in the world and that's also like a funny kind of background story (laughs) to my social media yeah (laughs) and i think that really strikes a chord for me too because a lot of folks you know i'll get a lot of uh you know suggestions like hey jen could you maybe make content like this Yes, I totally can, but I think often it's lost on how long it actually takes to make some of the media. And when it's not necessarily your full-time thing, I mean, it is for me, but I'm not a content, hold on. I am a content creator, much like you are. Sure, we make content, you know, and it does help obviously with our business, whether it's a side hustle or a full-time gig. However, you know, I have clients and those people are my priority. You know, they are definitely my number one, but you know, oftentimes I have to kind of, uh, argue with myself, like, no, I'm making content for them, but it does. It, it takes hours, you know, in case in point yesterday, I was much like you, I took like a couple hours, uh, to make some content in my garage gym. And I'm thinking, man, this is taking me a lot longer because I just forgot what the setup is. And I have kind of a new setup in my garage gym with some additional flooring and stuff and just trying to figure out placement and the amount of energy and time that goes into that. (laughs) So listeners, please take a moment, respect your content creators like Roxy, give them a follow, give them a like, like a few videos because it does help much to her point. What, you know, what you said earlier, Roxy, like, yeah, I don't know if I, if this is, you know, falling into the depths of nowhere on social media, like this video that I just shared, or if people are actually resonating with it. And it does help to kind of get some comments and interaction and like, oh, this is helpful or, you know, thanks. Oh, what about this? Or ask some more questions. So I'm so glad you said something. Yeah, absolutely. And just as you say, sometimes we just, we put it out there and there's nothing coming back and you're like, wow, did this just disappear? But yeah, that's weird. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no, totally. All right. So tell us a little bit, where do you live now? I know you mentioned before we hit record um, that you're living in mainland Spain. So whereabouts? Yeah, I live in La Nocilla, which is a tiny little town by the coastline at the costa here because the climate is actually even better. It's drier. Mallorca became much more humid over the last years. And also... 
Mm. Also, it's more expensive. And I also told you before we hit record that I'm a person who loves to evolve. It's basically, if I would think, why am I here? What, why do I do all this? Because I love evolving. I love learning. I love like also sharing my knowledge. And uh, Mallorca, we noticed it wasn't evolving. We were evolving. We were trying to bring mountain biking, make mountain biking bigger there, really trying to convey the importance of building a mountain bike infrastructure. And they kept saying, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. But at the end of the day, they never did Mm -hmm. because Mallorca has so much tourism and so much beach tourism that they just don't need the mountain bike tourism. Mm -hmm. And that's the total opposite here where we are at the moment. Although uh, Mallorca is gorgeous and I can totally recommend going there both for road biking and for mountain biking. Mm, I sold that part of my business. So the mountain bike rental station and the tours, I sold that part. And now I concentrate only on coaching and we have much better facilities here in La Nocia at the Costa Blanca in Spain for that. Nice. And do you find that they're much more uh, open to the conversation of like, hey, let's do this for trail work. Let's consider this. Like, are they just a yes. little bit more? Okay, good. Because that makes amazing. a difference. Yes. They have a huge scene here. We just nice. joined. I just uploaded this video a few days ago. We joined a race here that has been taking place here for over 22 years that people from all over Spain come to. Even Olympic athletes come here. We have another race in, um, I think it's February when all the UCI athletes come here. It's a hub. It's um, They do so much for mountain biking and just for sports in general. They are so much more open, yeah. Nice. Because, yeah, without the infrastructure and the support to maintain that infrastructure, sometimes it can be very frustrating. And, no, I get it. Here in Colorado, like, we have a phenomenal trail system, of course. But, you know, sometimes you have to go through a little bit more bureaucracy and just red, red tape. And I get it because it is public land, private land. You know, we have to kind of navigate that. Uh, but it can definitely, it can definitely... Uh, you can feel the the frustration sometimes. And I think a lot of folks around the world can feel that maybe in their local trail systems. But as long as you show up, show up for those trail dig days, that helps or like let your, your local legislature know, um, depending on what kind of politics you have going on in the area, let them know what you want. <laughs> the people yeah. have spoken. And I right? think it's absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's always about respect, like for both mm-hmm. sides, because here in Europe, we often have the problem with hikers and mountain bikers yeah. not getting along. And of course, now more e-bikes, which is, it can, of course, be a conflict, although I love e-bikes. Heck yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it's about respecting one another. It's about the hiker uh, slowing down when there's mountain bikers and mountain bikers not hammering down the trails when they know there are mountain bikers or kids or dogs or whatever. It's just, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion, it is common sense, but unfortunately, common sense is not common practice. No, and sometimes it's just not common. <laughs> it's not as common as maybe we like. So. <laughs> You gave us a little bit of history and how you got into mountain biking. And then, of course, your parents having that coaching history and everything. So how old were you when you did get into mountain biking after that injury? I actually, I was 23. So I learned mountain biking as an adult. And I think that is also essential because adults learn mountain biking differently. Generally, adults learn skills differently than children and even young adults. So I think there's a big shift. And actually, if you look at how our brain works, how our body works, there's a big shift at about the age of 12. And then there's another big shift at around 20, 22-ish. That's when you actually really stop learning visually and learning kinesthetically. So you need to actually understand skills before you can then do them after about the age of 23 and onwards. And that's really important because I think a lot of coaches out there still are stuck in that youth and kids coaching that they just show it and they don't explain the why, they don't explain the context and they don't explain it in short enough terms for an adult brain to actually comprehend it and then to send those signals to your muscles and to your extremities to then be able to perform the move. And also I think people have this false, especially when it comes to mountain biking, this false idea that you're going to be able to learn skills in a few days. In my opinion, and I think it's weird, it's totally weird that if you compare mountain biking with other sports, why is it only mountain biking that offers one or two skills 
like day skill, yeah. skills clinics for one or two days but, and then tell this to a guitar player say yeah mm -hmm. you're gonna come to a guitar day clinic and then you're gonna be able to play beethoven <laughs> whatever or whatever yeah. it is yeah, yeah. you know i'm not a guitar player <laughs> no one every guitar player was like what yeah or tell someone yeah you're learning english you're gonna come to a one day english clinic and you're gonna be able to speak english no everybody would be like no golfing tennis same thing no one would ever believe that or building muscle building like fitness mm -hmm. no one is going to tell you yeah go to the fitness center one day a year and build muscle no but mountain biking everyone believes it <laughs> the industry suggests that we should be able to learn bunny hops jumps drops whatever in one day it's mm -hmm. not the way our brain and body work it's just really crazy to be honest like mm -hmm. i as a prof professional skills coach working with adults know it's not realistic. And I think it's part of the frustration and also part of why people don't work on skills as much as they should do. Because if you look at mountain biking, it has become more and more technical in the last years. The, the double blacks are not how they used to be a few years ago or look at the cross country Olympic parkour. It's much more technical mm -hmm. than it used to be only a few years ago. So the, the, trails are getting more technical, but the people are not leveling up their ride because I think we have this wrong expectation of going to a skills clinic like once or twice or three times a year and then being able to perform these skills, but it's just not the way it works. And that's why a few years ago, I started working with my clients over a longer period. Mm -hmm. And I really started to work on step-by-step -step instruction designed for weeks and months. So not I don't give single day cl skills clinics anymore because mm -hmm. I just noticed it's just frustrating and it's you can't progress anyone further than the absolute foundation because if you progress them further on a day then you're just consolidating the bad habits they have because they keep repeating them on that day and then mm -hmm. they're going to go home just remember the cool stuff you did not going to practice the foundational moves that are actually important and not keep consolidating their errors over and over again and um that's why I, I think it's it's a big problem in our mountain bike industry that people think there's like a magic pill or you're just going to be learning bunny hops drops jumps whatever in a single mm -hmm. day and not focus on that people are not focusing on the skills they should actually be practicing that are going to keep them safe and make them able riders yeah and I think it is important, should anyone go to those weekend clinics or day clinics? And I say this often with clients that I'll coach, you know, for a few hours, we're talking like four hours, four to six hours is usually the range, right? I, you know, the group that I'm with, well, they're really good about sending an email like, hey, remember, here's the bullet points. Here's the tips, kind of like you said, like the summary of things that you should keep in, in mind, like, you know, hips up, blah, 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 whatever. Um, practice them because you, you have to continually practice. And, and it sounds like you're kind of bridging, you're working to help bridge that gap between like, okay, you're doing the, the day clinic and then great. Now you're out on your own. I'm just kicking you out of the nest because let's be realistic. How often do people actually go home and do the homework after, you know, the skills clinics? It's not very often, or sometimes it's, it's hodgy podgy or whatever the word is that I'm trying to think of. So it sounds like you're trying to bridge that gap a little bit. And is that in terms yeah. of like remote coaching? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, that is awesome. most of what I do nowadays. Yeah. So I have an online coaching platform where I have really step-by-step -step lessons mm -hmm. and no YouTube video will ever replace a coach yeah. because it always shows the end form. So it shows the end form of a bunny hop. And even if it breaks it down wonderfully and says, okay, first you do this, then you do that, then the body does that, then you do this, and then da -da -da, and then this is a bunny mm -hmm. hop. Even if it breaks it down correctly, then people still don't know what they should be practicing. So, um, so what you need to practice and what the skill includes are two completely different stories. And that's what I do. I give my clients step-by-step -step instruction for how they should practice, not how the end move should look, but how they should practice to construct that end move in a few weeks or months. So for example, I have an online bunny hop training course, which has an incredible success rate, even with people who had been struggling with the bunny hop for years, because they'd been practicing, as I said before, they'd been practicing consequential moves. Yeah. And by doing that, 
consolidating the causal errors mm-hmm. so the cause is somewhere else where they have been they had been looking and that's what i do mostly so most of my clients are clients from all over the world who are working with my step-by-step lessons at home and then they can send me videos to get professional feedback and it's always one-on-one so people send me a video then i ask a few questions and then i find the causal error then they can correct the cause and not try to correct consequential stuff that's not going to be able to to be corrected yeah and i think you've probably seen this firsthand perfect case in point learning the foundational movements in a clinic for example right and then yeah you keep piling on other skills on top of that but yet you're still seeing their their butt go behind the saddle way too far for example when you're going downhill (laughs) you know perfect example because it's something i see commonly and it's the it's one of the things i had to grow out of after doing the wrong thing for so many years and finally taking a skills course so yeah perfect because to correct Yep. Habits, you need a lot of like many repetitions. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the studies, like modern neuroscience here, then we're talking hundreds to thousands of repetitions and you couldn't even do these within a day. It wouldn't Mm -hmm. even work because between to get from one stage to the next, you actually need sleep. So you need sleep to to (laughs) build those connections in the brain and that that's something that i think many people in one day skills clinic sorry my cat is kind of getting it's cute no i love it (laughs) they're always so curious hi hi i know this is fritz unfortunately our listeners can't see him but he's unfortunately he's a little too chubby but he's a very cute cat it's fine it makes up cuteness so getting back to the topic i think that a lot of people think uh, or expect things to work out much more quickly than it's Mm -hmm. actually neurologically and anatomically possible yeah i mean we've become kind of the society globally to some regard of just expecting, you know, same day delivery, next day delivery. And that type of mentality and mindset has really just been applied to every facet in our lives. You know, like, okay, great. We got a new book. We expect ourselves to read it within the next two days, which is possible for some folks, you know, but maybe not factual or or even feasible rather for a lot of other individuals. Same goes to skills work. And I know for me, like what we talked about before we hit record, as a health coach, you know, some folks just expect results within a matter of weeks. And you kind of have to stop and ask yourself, you know, did it take just a few days for you to develop those maybe less ideal habits? Not really, you know, so we have to be realistic. So I'm glad you're saying something about that. And you're, yeah. you're really, it sounds like you're really putting in the work to like bridge that gap, which is awesome. I, yeah, I, it is awesome. And especially what really motivates me is seeing the progress and people who have, are 60 plus, 70 plus riders mm-hmm. who are now making so much progress and who were lost in single day clinics yeah. or lost on trails or they approach me with massive fears because they kept crashing and mm-hmm. now they send me emails i just got an email from a guy he's 74 and he's like i have been riding for 30 years i have basically stopped riding trails because i kept crashing and now since a year I've been riding better than ever and I just feel so confident I have so much fun out there because I feel so safe and that's it I mean if you're in your 74 you don't need to be crashing all the time Mm -hmm. and and you just want to go out there enjoy nature have fun and and that's something I love doing because it gives people real life quality Mm -hmm. and that's what I just love doing for others and myself always thinking back what is life actually about what is mountain biking actually about Mm -hmm. and what is life quality for me and what is joy for me and is it really hucking myself down that jump and crashing all the time or is it maybe yeah or is it maybe riding a whatever blue green whatever trail it is Mm -hmm. but at my speed in control maybe for me it's about that and finding that authenticity and then working towards it is in my opinion much more worthy or much it's much smarter to spend your time on something like that than Mm -hmm. to pleasing the ego or the expectations of people you may not even like no it's true and i think you've kind of touched upon a topic that has really been resonating with me lately it's just your identity as a mountain biker and you know 
I think all too often folks feel like they, they do need to do jumps. They do need to do massive drops in order for them to feel like quote unquote, a qualified mountain biker or a real, I've heard this before, and I've even been guilty of saying it myself, a real mountain biker. And hearing those words even come out of my mouth just now makes me want to cringe because you're a real mountain biker if you're on a mountain bike, you know, kind of like the idea and the mentality now that we're approaching the year and things like that. You, you have a bikini body if you have a bikini and a body. Like, you know, you have a beach body if you're on a beach with a body. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just yeah. it's just mindset is behind it all. And I think you you really hit it on the head here when you said it's the other, like, external expectations, like other people's ideas. And you're letting that impact kind of your yourself. And that, it, it feels kind of icky, you know? And it, it, it doesn't, it lacks the authenticity that maybe makes you who you are. And I think that that's really important to kind of talk about because all too often, I know I'm guilty of this as well, is just I'll look at somebody doing like 20 foot, you know, gap jumps. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. Just because I think it's awesome and it looks great doesn't mean that I have to do it, you know? And I don't know about you, but I'm 44. I'm going to be 45 next year. And I'm a little hesitant to do certain things on my bike you know, because I have been injured before and that sucked the life out of me when I was injured because I, it impacted me so much and it impacted my job and my, just my life. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what do you have, and this is completely off topic. This wasn't even in the questions that I, that I sent you, but I'm kind of curious, like, what are things that you suggest for people when it comes to their identity as a mountain biker, you know, and maybe maybe finding what is important to them. I don't know. Is there like yeah. a way that you go that about searching? So, absolutely. That's actually something I do every time I work with my clients in person. And I do, I do do group clinics, but not one day. It's always five days. Mm -hmm. And some, one of the things I do in there is value work. So mm -hmm. we look yes. at the values that really drive you to mountain biking. And I did touch on this on one of my last podcasts. I did want to, I'm going to make another one about this in my podcast, because I think, boy, I think it's such a deep topic. And I think so few people look at that. Mm -hmm. And this is not only for mountain biking, but for all areas in our lives, we sometimes, our environment just trumps our willpower so much. We we start to find this crowd that we're with and we like the people, but then we stop noticing or maybe we just get lost in being liked so much that at some point we forget who we really are. Mm -hmm. And this applies to mountain biking a lot, especially with social media and yeah. with everything which is getting bigger and, and sparklier and, and mm -hmm. everything is kind of impressed in that. And as you said, we then think we need to to do things to be a real mountain biker like whatever ride clip let's do the jumps do the whatever it is yeah so the first thing that i do with my clients is really ask them and often it's it's hard if you're like, like which values are driving you to mountain bike you're not going to be able to answer them you're like, oh, i don't know but what helps <laughs> is asking the opposite so think of a day that didn't go well like a day you didn't enjoy something went wrong and you just didn't have a good day on the bike. So you come back home and you feel kind of worse than before. If this has, it has happened, then ask yourself which of your values were not met on that day. And that usually helps because then we start thinking, oh, okay, well, I didn't feel accepted. I didn't feel like I had enough time to enjoy nature. I didn't feel like I was going at my own pace. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was listening to my own body. So once we start to look at the things that didn't work out, we start to know, ah, okay, for me, it seems to be important that I listen to my own body. For me, it seems to be important that I enjoy nature. It seems to be important that I don't let others stress me out. So, and then you start getting into those values and say, okay, so I like to be self-sufficient. I enjoy nature. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. And then so most of the time, and this is super interesting, the last time I did this in a group, at the end of the ride, like 90% of the people in the group were like, wow, I don't do this when I'm out riding. None of my values is met when I go out riding. Usually it's about 
can I keep up? Um, what are they going to think? Oh my God, um, is my new bike clean enough so mm -hmm. that they're not going to laugh at my bike? Is my gear up yeah. to whatever? So it's about what everyone thinks. So we project the things that are actually stressing us out in daily life to mountain biking, which is actually, I mean, we do it for, in our free time. Uh -huh. It's paying us to do this. Yeah, when I'm pros. Exactly. And then people start to notice and they're like, wow. And I've had many people then like a few weeks, months later, send me an email saying, hey, I'm either riding by myself or I have a new crowd and I looked for them according to these values. And it's made such a shift in my entire life because for the first time, I'm actually really winding down mountain biking. I'm not crashing anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm having more fun. I'm enjoying nature. I don't care if I have the latest fork or mm -hmm. the latest brake or whatever. I'm spending less time, or less money on mountain biking and having much more fun. And um, I think for most of us out there, I think, we look at that far too little. We look at who am I? Why am I doing this? And what mm -hmm. do I really want out of it? Far too little. 100%. And you just spoke to my health coaching heart when you said core values, because that's actually my next podcast episode that I'm talking about, but I'm going to be talking about it from a different lens. So listeners, I really recommend listening to Roxy's podcast when she obviously releases the update and get that from a, like a mountain biking lens, because it, it's important to get in touch with kind of who you are and really what resonates and makes your soul sing and makes you just excited about certain things because getting a little bit bored about, you know, a variety of things in your life, it's going to happen. It's just the, it's just the fact of life, you know, it just kind of happens, but what can you kind of do to reignite it and maybe add the dimension to your, to your writing in this example and your group that you're writing with and like, how can you get that to where you're, you're all, simpatico and you're just loving your rides even more no i totally get it that totally resonates with me so thanks for saying that and thanks for sharing your expertise with that hopefully the listeners yeah, will get out of it so important definitely and i think we just sometimes we don't have the courage to look because we feel we're like ah, oh, why it doesn't it can't always be about me well yeah it's your ride it should be about you so yeah think what you enjoy and and same with coaching when people come to me it's like, like yeah you know you just tell me what to do and like no no this coaching is about you so you tell me yeah and then I'm gonna tell you how we get there but mm -hmm. um yeah people should really start to tune in to what they want why they want it and how they can get there 100 percent, yeah especially without the influence of others kind of you know being thrust upon them so speaking about skills work and one of our favorite topics here, how do you recommend that writers build the habit of incorporating skills work into their day-to-day -day life? Mm, well, the most important thing I think with building new habits is having realistic goals and setting tiny, tiny, tiny steps with it. Because what I see with myself and with a lot of my clients is like, they, they send me an email saying, oh, I wanna ride. No, I wanna practice five times a week, half an hour a day. I'm like, hmm, well, great if you manage but i give you like three days <laughs> yeah and <laughs> how, how much are you doing it now <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um and that's why i actually say and in my i have a free track stand challenge which is of 10 minutes a week start with that because it's realistic nice. and if yeah you if you are saying you want to work on your skills and you can't make time for two times 10 minutes, then I'm sorry, are you really serious about yes. learning skills? You need to question <laughs> yourself there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I actually do that when I'm practicing. I'm like, mm -hmm, I don't really feel like practicing, but no, I'm never, and that's what I always say, I never skip a new habit twice. Mm -hmm. So if it's in my week that I want to practice this week three times and I start with my first one, everything goes well, and then it's the day I look at my calendar and says, go out skills practice. I'm like, mm, I don't feel like it. Okay. I skip it once. Then I write it into the next day. Mm -hmm. That's the day I'm not going to skip it. So I go outside and even if it's just one minute, I put on my bike gear, I go outside and practice. And I always say, start, even mm -hmm. if it's just, you just need to start and then see how it goes. And even if after like five or six minutes, you yeah. still don't feel like it. Okay. Then maybe, put it off but you've tried mm -hmm. and that's how you build new habits by one realistic habits and two 
never skip a new habit twice and do that for four weeks and then usually you have a new habit and you start to notice okay is this a habit that doesn't well or not and then you can start to to again look at it and maybe change some things around yeah such great tips seriously roxy so on the point because you know i'm obviously real big into developing habits and things like that and am i perfect no because i'm human you know but you made an excellent point about hey just give yourself one to five minutes check in with yourself at least get the habit build the habit of getting on your bike to do the skill work and the practice even if it's just in your driveway or sidewalk or where depending on where you live obviously alley for me you know we don't have driveways here in, in denver um, you know, but get out in the alley, just do some sort of practice and get in the habit of just hopping on. And for me too, like try not to, um, try to make it as simple as possible. Like even if you're in just regular clothes, like right now I'm just wearing regular workout clothes. They're not mountain bike specific clothes, but who cares? As long as maybe I just throw on my helmet and my mountain bike shoes, great, call it good. And just do it in these clothes. Of course, folks don't do it, you know, in your dress clothes, maybe after work, but you know, just make it to where it's like the lowest hanging fruit and just to kind of help build it. Um, but yeah, I'm real big on the five minute rule, you know, just change your clothes and figure it out, <laughs> you yeah. know? And really make the important thing is that you need to reduce the barrier of yeah. entry yes. and make it readily available because that's why people eat lots of sweets because they're just mm -hmm. lying around. Yeah. So you want to start Putting the stuff at reach and in your eyesight that you want to do, not the stuff you don't want to do, because your brain will always give you the cues if you have it lying around. No, and that's why I also, just as you said, I put my helmet uh, right by the door when yeah. I know that that day is my sports training day. And then I, because it'll annoy me all day, like, why is my helmet there? <laughs> <laughs> it's out of place. Then, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. So it's no, about tricking your brain into making those new connections. And then once you've gotten used to it, you'll really start to miss it. So now I've made a habit of going out, practicing only like 20 minutes because longer doesn't really make sense mm -hmm. because after that, you'll just start to build in errors and then consolidate errors. So actually it's much better to do it more often and shorter. I always think of it like I'd water a plant. I wouldn't water it once a month like two gallons i would water it th three times a week a little bit mm -hmm. and that's why the that's how the plant will grow and it's exactly the same with habits um and then when i don't do it i actually miss it i'm like yeah something's wrong why yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like something's yeah just absent you know you feel incomplete i totally yeah. get it i totally get it now how do you keep your skills work fun and kind of fresh it sounds like you obviously have like a free track stand challenge so maybe doing challenges like that obviously help but what else do you want to add to that anything else one thing i can definitely say is small goals mm -hmm. um really setting those small goals and that's why the track stand challenge has so they're tiny little steps that are relatively easy to reach um and then giving yourself something when you reach that goal and also and that's really important making your motivation um, or let me say say it like this um giving yourself something good even if you don't reach the goal just if you've made the effort so mm -hmm. really connecting your you know, feeling good when you've reached something not to reaching the goal but to making the effort because you need to know that the effort is what brings the um the progress it's sometimes progress is slow and you need to trust that you need to trust the process but you can do that when you start to give yourself um maybe even a little gift just because you've made the effort so really attaching your your happiness and your feeling of success to the effort and not to the progress yeah 100 percent. because i think it's all too often you know we get lost in the outcome and and get kind of blind to the actual like journey to get to the outcome and yeah the journey is the destination as cliche as that as that statement is it it is so true when it comes to making habit changes and seeing progress ultimately. Yeah. yeah. And also one thing, and that's also a myth that I see with mountain biking is everyone thinks that you need to keep practicing on trails. 
but actually to build new movement patterns you need to be in a so-called stimuli free environment so your brain um, needs to be in a distraction free environment and if we're on trails often we're too distracted to actually build new movement patterns so most progress even with the pro riders that i'm working with actually takes place on parking lots and mm -hmm. in on super easy trails so that's where you can concentrate on building those new movement patterns and concentrating on maybe even producing errors on purpose sometimes to feel how bad this feels and to <laughs> make to improve neuroplasticity and that's something that i also believe that once you've understood that that's on a parking lot and on super easy trails is where you actually make the progress mm -hmm. it becomes easier because you don't think oh i need to go to that trail to do that mm -hmm. i need to go there and there to, to do that and it can become so much more fun actually practicing on a parking lot mm -hmm. and practicing right in front of your doorstep. And then the progress you see on trails in the long run will again motivate you, of course. But if you keep it playful, if you make a habit out of it, if you mm, give yourself props for making the effort, then progress is inevitable. So it's about that courage to make mistakes, the persistence to actually stick to it, and then to bringing some kind of playfulness and curiosity in it that will really bring progress. 100%. It's almost like you have to feel safe in order to kind of advance, you know, and feel safe in that that green trail, you know, maybe the the really easy trail that you did as a beginner. But I think we sometimes forget where we are, like if we are a more intermediate and advanced rider, you're always kind of a beginner though, in something, in some regard, and just embracing that is so important so yeah keep it easy i like that that's such a good idea absolutely so, you need to and yeah. that's something that that so few coaches out there know yeah. that you need to just as you said you need to feel safe to build new movement patterns because your brain is a supercomputer your brain will always calculate duration path and outcome so your brain will calculate how long will it take me to achieve this What's the path that I've used that I'm used to taking, and what's the possible outcome? And if the possible outcome is just ten percent real failure and real pain, you cannot learn there. It's not a learning zone. It's a performance zone. It puts your brain in a performance zone, even if the chances that something's going to go wrong is only about ten percent. Mm -hmm. So your brain is going to go, okay, no, here I'm just going to perform the stuff that I already know. So the, the, in your brain, you can think of it like this. You're trying to build new pathways. But of course, if your brain is scared, it won't even get close to the new pathways because it knows I need duration path and outcome to be safe. So I'm mm -hmm. going to be using the stuff I already know. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing out on trails when you're scared? You're consolidating the brain pathways that yeah. you already know. You're consolidating the movement patterns that are already there. You yeah. cannot build new movement patterns. So if you're learning a bunny hop, learning new drop techniques, learning whatever, learning new just patterns to maintain pressure control, which is maintaining your body at the right position in the bike, then mm -hmm. you can't practice this when you're scared. And a lot of people underestimate this and underestimate how smart our brain really is mm -hmm. and how quickly that duration path and outcome calculation already gives and let's call it an error yeah and how quickly they yeah when you look at i'm a nerd when it comes to this i mean i read all the science papers and i read it i'm like oh my this makes so much sense of course then i'm not going to be able to learn it there um yeah. but i think too few people actually know how learning really works and mm -hmm. how we need to treat our brain to make it to enable learning in the first place mm -hmm. i mean you're a nerd like i am with this but you also do that for a living too in all fairness so it's like you know being a psychological counselor it's it, it kind of adds such a really cool dimension to your mountain bike coaching in my opinion um i find mountain bike coaches who do have a psychological background, you know, and or a different kind of coaching background can add such different nuance to the way that they approach their mountain bike coaching. Yeah. And I think that that's phenomenal. So embrace <laughs> it. I love it. I love it. I love it. 
<laughs> well, I think what we often forget is that everything we learn at the motor skill learning is just changing our brain. Yeah. So if we don't understand our yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything is just yeah. changing our brain. So once we've understood that, then we just need to figure out, okay, how can we change our brain? Mm -hmm. So how do I enable neuroplasticity? And once mm -hmm. we figure that out, then we start totally changing everything we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Because just because something is popular or uh, easy, it doesn't mean that it's effective. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once we've understood that, or once I understood that, that's when I started really making progress with myself and then obviously also with my clients. Heck yeah. No, I love that. I absolutely love that, that type of lens and just that different type of approach just to kind of look at things differently. So speaking of skills, what, and of course, skills can obviously change person to person, you know, so it will kind of be a little bit of a blanket statement for everyone. But in your opinion, being a mountain bike skills coach for as long as you've done it, you know, what are the top two to three skills riders should probably learn? And I mean, I have a feeling I know what one of these are. One of these is rather, um, but yeah, I'm curious what, what, what it is to you. <laughs> well, I'm curious to find out what you think, <laughs> but we'll talk about that. Um, so I actually think, and this is interesting, and this is, I mean, I work with riders of all levels. I actually train lately for the Olympics as well, but mm. most of my clients are just hobby riders. And I think, or the thing that I've seen with all levels of riders is they have specific errors in common that far too few people address. Mm -hmm. And I think the most or the, the biggest error that I see is body positioning errors. So not understanding or not having this basic understanding of something that I call pressure control. Um, and this is a term from the BICP curriculum, which is the bike instructor certification program where I took my own certification, but now where I'm also an instructor trainer. And we talk about the pressure control, the, the idea, and I just want to keep it as simple as possible, but the basic understanding of how you need to position your body to have ideal traction on your front and rear wheel and how to ensure that your bike can roll over obstacles easily. Mm -hmm. So basically that's all it boils down to because if you have traction and if your, if your wheels can roll over obstacles, that's when you achieve control and stability. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that like, basically I would say 99 people, 99% of all riders out there could improve that. But I'd say about 1% of all actually practice. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> and, yeah. and if they do practice it, they just practice it like, oh, yeah, let's move on. Yeah. And they think it's, it's like a no brainer, but actually yeah. it's not. Everything boils down to that. So yeah. that's something that I work on with my clients a lot. It's understanding the correlation and everything, how, what happens when you move your body too far rearwards, what happens when you have too much weight in your hands, how can you feel it, what's the effect, and how can you start avoiding and stop avoiding and how can you maintain your body where it really belongs? Because at the end of the day, we're the heavy mass and the bike is the light mass. So if I am not putting my weight where the heavy mass, where it belongs, of course, the light mass is going to become unstable or it's going to slip, it's going to throw me off. Mm. Um, and it all boils down to that. That's It's the root of really 99% of the crashes I see out there is involved with how we position our body and why we position it there and how we can feel that. Mm. Then the next one actually is also one that of course children and every and people who with mountain biking that are excellent riders are actually really really bad coaches because they would never even think about body positioning for them it's like well yeah of course i'm not going to lean onto my handlebar and of course i'm not going to hang there but of course but people do that so they need to understand that the yeah. next one is ratcheting yeah 100%. so partial pedal mm -hmm. strokes instead of full pedal rotations it sounds like mm -hmm. such an easy skill but I see so many people not doing it and then mm -hmm. clipping their pedals somewhere, which can cause serious issues. Roll your bike and mm -hmm. maintain that. Yep. 
pressure control and the body position at slow speeds because mm -hmm. people ride too fast, way too fast. They start riding mm -hmm. at fast speeds because they're compensating for those errors in their foundation. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that ratcheting and basic track stand skills are definitely um, the second thing I would work on right after pressure control, after that body position. Mm -hmm. And the third one, which I think is an essential, uh -huh. and um, this is also something that really few coaches actually out there um, teach, and that is braking and dismounting safely mm -hmm. when you're mm -hmm. going up and downhill. Yeah. So dismounting safely, because a, a lot of times I see people crash, they're actually already stopped. They're trying mm -hmm. to get off the bike. Yeah, they don't want to crash, and uh -huh. then they crash because they dismount. Some they kind of t get tangled up on their bike. Yeah. Yeah. I know because you're gonna need it when you really get scared. Yeah. So it needs to be second nature. So that means to make something second nature, you need to practice it lots of times, like really, really weeks, because weeks and months of repetition on every ride, five to six times, you need to be, you need to do this mm -hmm. to make it automatic, to make it second nature, to make it your emergency plan. Mm -hmm. And I see, I see this on social media, even sometimes from other coaches when they're dismounting, that they dismount to the front of their bike when they're riding downhill. And it's unfortunately, a lot of people will crash because of that. So mm -hmm. I think we could have a responsibility to practice these fundamentals and to really be a role model because at the end of the day, these are what will really, really they are our life security. They are what mm -hmm. will save our lives. Um, they're in, like a life insurance. Mm -hmm. And so these are the skills that maybe you weren't expecting, but the three that I think every writer no matter the level should have auto like absolutely automatic. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were definitely on par. Honestly, I only picked two. The third one, I had such difficulty figuring it out myself. Um, but yeah, pressure control and just like body position period. And then ratcheting and track standing. We're definitely hands down. Like we are, oh yes, we are skill sisters when it comes to that. Just because awesome. those are things that I've noticed like I certainly needed help because I started riding, you know, back in like 2001, but then I took a huge hiatus because um, I was in, you know, just in a relationship, wasn't very supportive of my mountain biking endeavors uh, years ago. And then coming back to it, you just realize how much like you just lack control of the bike. And that definitely helped me shed light on, you know, my perspective anyways, but my perspective on mountain biking skills is very in line with so many people that I've met over the years you know, and just their experience. And also what I see as a mountain biking coach, you know, on the, on the bike when I'm doing a clinic with them. And, and it's so awesome though to see, but definitely agree with the braking and just learning how to dismount safely and just confidently, you know, because if you are in a very hairy situation or say you are at a bike park for the first time, it can be daunting, you know, and just learning how, if you're going, if you're descending, especially fast with speed, learning how to dismount, you know, safely or something that's maybe a little techy, uh, and it's a steep section of trail and just feeling that confidence because then you feel like, okay, I can get out of this scenario anytime I want. And, you know, you pick the perfect word for that is, is autonomy. You want some sort of autonomy and confidence when you're on the bike, yeah. creating that safety. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also important because once you know how to dismount safely you can actually start trying out stuff and that's when you can start practicing out on the trails safely because people start practicing on trails without having these skills and without mm -hmm. being able to dismount and then they crash practicing mm -hmm. because they're trying to practice stuff that is way out of their league but they don't have that plan b they don't have the okay what if i don't make it down how am i going to get off my bike safely mm -hmm. and i've seen that so many times and I, I i literally stop my clients when i see that it's not automatic i say okay no you're not practicing the section again because you may make it yeah but then you just made it down you, you weren't mm -hmm. in control and the chances of you crashing in the middle because in the middle you're you at some 
you just feel fear and that's normal because your skills are not there so it's a totally legitimate fear then you try to get off and then you crash trying to get off your bike yeah. no you can yeah yeah not on my watch and um yeah i think it's something that so many people underestimate that being able to dismount is not only important to actually avoid crashes, but also to be able to start practicing out in ter terrain to work your way up safely. And it's also important, again, for your brain, which is calculating duration, path, and outcome. And if outcome is, let's say, 50%, but then you have a plan B, so I know, okay, maybe I'm not going to ride that section safely, but I can always dismount my bike safely, then your brain suddenly is not fearful anymore mm -hmm. because it knows, yeah, well, what's going to happen? Yeah. And once my clients automatize that, that's when they start feeling safe and actually enjoying technical trails and practicing there because they're like, yeah, well, what's going to happen? I'm just going to dismount. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It gives them a little bit of that, that cushion, that safety net. So speaking of crashing, what's your top tip for crashing less? I'm sure it has to do with skill work, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I actually already have a podcast about that topic because nice. I think yeah, it is um, an important topic. So first thing is to let your skill level decide and not your ego what you ride. Yeah, that's the Just hardest one. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely something that would avoid many crashes. So when I'm out, just sometimes I just sit by a trail and I will watch people. And it's shocking how few people actually control their bike. Um, most people, the bike is controlling them. And it's really shocking because, of course, they got used to it. So they've been riding like this for long, so they don't even notice. But starting to checking in with yourself and saying, okay, am I really in control? And question two, could I have stopped and gotten off safely in that situation? That's when you start noticing, okay, maybe I was over my head and maybe I just got down, I got lucky, but I wasn't really in control. Mm -hmm. So the first one is definitely skill over ego. Yeah. Then another one that I have already said is the environment trumps willpower. So seeing or really questioning your will and knowing that even if you are a strong person, that your environment will always trump the willpower if you're in the wrong environment. So choosing your environment wisely and knowing why you are doing this why you want to write a section is it just because everyone else is writing it or mm -hmm. do you feel like you have the skills and the control to write that section it's been a long day day they've had a stressy day the child hasn't let them sleep overnight and they're just tired and they take it out on the ride they don't think about it and then try to ride like they usually would so not mm -hmm. listening to that day and not listening checking in with yourself every day and, and knowing every day is a new day so just because i rode the session yesterday doesn't mean i need to read it today mm -hmm. and listening to that body um the not uh, the, the next one is as i said having a plan b so being able to dismount and thinking of if it doesn't go wrong if it does go wrong what mm -hmm. can i do um and practicing those plans. So pr practicing changing the line on trail, mm. practicing dismounting, practicing new ways of riding sections that I've never ridden before, and really giving your brain that variation to yeah. give it that security. Um, another reason I would say why people crash too often is that they advance too quickly. Mm. That if you if you watch people, they're like beginners like one or two rides and then they're like already on intermediate trails yeah <laughs> i did yeah. it i definitely did it i was yeah. like oh, why should i ride green trails no like uh -huh. and we uh, we advance too quick as i said we ride too fast too quickly so mm -hmm. we we increase the speed too early and we increase the difficulty of the trail too early so i think checking in again with ourselves and and thinking am i really in control do I enjoy doing this or am I just surviving this trail? I think if we, if we really start to notice that, that's when crashing becomes less. And the next one is something that I have already touched to before is the topic of practicing in two technical terrain. 
as in mm -hmm. practicing in a performance zone versus practicing in a learning zone. And mm -hmm. every time we do that, the focus becomes a different one. So the focus is not on the form. The focus is on getting down there in one piece. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we have the goal of somehow surviving the section, we're just consolidating the foundational errors we have. And we may start to, of course, we're going to improve because we're going to start to build the soft skills of knowing how to react when the bike washes out, of knowing how to kind of jump off the bike when the bike slips. Mm -hmm. We do get better at those things, but we're not actually building new skills. We're not yeah. actually building new hard skills, new movement patterns. We need to be in a safe learning zone to do that. And I think once people no start noticing that, that they start need to practice off trails and in easy trails to build the skills to ride hard trails, that's when they start crashing less. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely the movement patterns in a safe learning zone, allowing themselves the time to con consolidate the new movement patterns and then take them to hard trails that the hardness of the trails, it decreases. So they can work their way up onto harder trails without actually having ridden there because they've built the movement patterns to ride there. Just like when you're strength training, you maybe you start off and you could never ever lift, I don't know, 100 pounds. And then you start off with 10, then with 20, then with 30, and suddenly you can lift 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the same with mountain biking. You look at the black trail and like never ever. But then mm -hmm. you practice <laughs> the green one, the practice the blue one, you start building the yeah. habit and then you look at the black trail, you come there, you're like, oh, wow, it doesn't look that scary anymore because mm -hmm. your brain knows that you've built the habits and you've built the skills and you don't need to ride the black trail or practice in the back black trail to build the, the skills to ride the black trail. So it's recognizing that and then practicing that, I think that would spare people a lot of crashes. Oh my gosh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I think it, hopefully it'll share a little bit of uh, hope. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> for folks who maybe feel like they're just plateauing at a certain level when it comes to their writing. And maybe it just takes a moment to, Hey, okay. Is it something that I do really want to pursue this style of writing, for example, you know, maybe doing gap jumps or drops or things like that. Or is it something that maybe I feel like I think I need to do. And then great. Let me look at these, these tips from Roxy and kind of reflect on my own writing lately. You know, maybe it's just a matter of me going back to the, the simpler and easier trails and kind of putting into place some of these, these habits uh, that I want to learn and not necessarily the habits that I've maybe have grown to, to kind of hide, I guess, over the last few years, which is good. So yeah, thanks for yeah. sharing that. Yeah, well, my mantra definitely is regress to progress. That's what mm, I always work on with it. my clients, that you need to regress to those foundational moves to progress because mm -hmm. if you've built your skills pyramid i actually have a video about this on youtube which is a skill pyramid like an order of skills you should be practicing if you've built that pyramid on a wobbly foundation you need uh -huh. to regress to rebuild that foundation first it's mm -hmm. going to take time and that's yeah. why i always say when you're new to mountain biking literally take the most experienced and probably most expensive coach out there you can get because mm -hmm. at the beginning you're like a dry sponge you will soak up everything and those habits you build in the beginning they are so easy to break afterwards so mm -hmm. if you're building the right habits in the beginning it's going to spare you so much time down the road and that's when a lot of people say oh no whatever i'm just i'm a beginner so i don't need a super experienced coach Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's where you build the habits that then build you, bring you down that dead end, or um, that's why you then hit the skills plateau because you have habits that are not perfect or compensatory habits that cover up mm -hmm. um, deficits in other areas. And that's why that's why I keep saying if you're a beginner and if I start a new sport, I'm going to look for the most experienced coach in that area to really start learning something right at the, at the beginning. 100%. I know I, I get that a lot with health coaching, but also mostly with my fitness and strength coaching. You know, some folks will say, well, I'm not really racing or I'm not, you know, professional and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, you don't have to be, you know, if, if health and longevity is just your goal, that is a huge goal, huge undertaking, because it's literally your life that you're talking about. 
And if you're not necessarily maybe doing the habits that you're wanting to do or that you identify strongly with, then great. Let's, you know, change the, change the script that's going on in your head and let's do a little bit of reflection, much to your point when it comes to skills work. It's, it's really one and the same. It's just a different application, which is awesome. So yeah. I love it. All right. Last question, Roxy, how do you make shift happen in your life? Any, any way that you make change happen for you? Mm, one thing is always keeping my curiosity alive. So oh, I, I read, I read a paper actually that the, those people that are the most intelligent and actually know most are those who are the most biased people <laughs> because <laughs> they are, they just think they know everything already. And that for me was such an eye opener. So now I always ask questions and look at a topic as though I were a beginner. So with it, yeah. I try to forget everything and then I work as though I know because the things I first I need to have everything like I don't know anything I need to be open to everything that comes and then I want to put all those pieces together and then make the best of them but really stopping myself from thinking I know things that's how I love learning things that I think I know already so actually, I myself, I take instructor certifications, level one certifications every year, at least one a year, and mm -hmm. teaching certifications, because that's where I learned so much about things I already knew I had totally dialed. Stuff that I thought was automatic, I started to look at them in a different light again. Mm -hmm. And a lot of questions from beginners in the area, they helped me notice that I had been in my tunnel for something and they helped me really change something that I've been doing in a specific way for years. And that's how I myself think, or what I myself think is the most important thing that we don't allow our ego and our experience to get into the way of improving in things we're already good at. Heck yeah. Chop wood, carry water type of situation. I love it. Beginner mindset. <laughs> Oh, Roxy, it was so good having you on. Thanks for staying an extra few minutes. I could probably talk to you for another hour, but I won't do that to you. Uh, but I would love for the listeners to learn how they can follow you. And I will also include it in the show notes. So yeah, tell us how, how can folks learn a little bit more about you? Awesome. Well, one thing I'd definitely like all of you to do is do my track stand challenge. You can get it for free. All you need to do is to sign up for my mailing list on roxybike-coaching.com and in the first email you'll get you'll get that track stand challenge for free it's a step-by-step -step track stand course actually which has a track stand challenge that goes four weeks so two times 10 minutes a week so if you're serious about your skills then i'm pretty sure you'll have time for that and apart from that uh, ride and inspire on youtube uh, that's ride and inspire.com that'll link to youtube directly and uh, on instagram i'm roxybike underscore coaching and I have a podcast, which is Roxy's Write and Inspire podcast. Yay. It was great, great, great fun. We need to do this again. I know, seriously. No, it was so nice just to touch base. It's kind of a little surreal uh, for me. Not that I'm fangirling or anything, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's just you follow someone on social media for so long and you're like, oh, this is how they are in person. This is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> well, folks, give her a follow and I know I'm I'm actually not subscribed to your email list so I'm going to change that today after we're done recording and I'm going to do that because I want to do the track scan track stand challenge because uh, awesome. anyone can do something for for two, twice a week 10 minutes of time I love it <laughs> all right yeah. well the honor the honor was all mine Roxy and um folks check the show notes for now check out next week's episode i'm actually going to be talking about core values and there's going to be my worksheet in that podcast episode just kind of talking about some core values but as it relates to your health coaching and everything like that so i will catch you next week i hope you all have a beautiful day thanks for joining